Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Six, we are actually in the last chapter of the book of Galatians this morning, and the Lord willing, we'll finish the book this morning. So Galatians chapter 6, um, and uh, also if you uh, need prayer or you want prayer for anything, don't forget about the prayer cards in the back seat pockets, and you can put them in our um, offering box in the back corner there. Uh, we pray on Sunday nights, and we will be praying tonight, so come on out 630 for that. And um, we want to welcome those who are joining us on our live stream and also anybody who's listening to this uh, podcast later through our website or through iTunes or whatnot. So again, Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to close the book out. Now, stand with me if you would, please. I'm not going to waste any time with uh, uh, introductions. I want to get right into it. And uh, we're going to begin in verse 25 of chapter 5 there. So just look uh, look just a few verses above chapter 6 there, and here is what the Word of God says. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that will he also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to, each, to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they might, may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And also for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear my own body the marks of Jesus. The grace of Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask you, Lord, to just speak into our lives. We ask you to just, uh, God, be intimate with us this morning. We know you always are, and we know that you always speak truth to us, but give us ears to hear. We don't want to miss what you want to say to us today, Lord. This is such an important, important passage, Lord, as it relates to us living out the Christian life amongst those around us here in the church, but also in the world. Let us not miss it, Lord. Speak into our lives. We just open ourselves up even now, Lord, for you to come in and do heart surgery on us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. If you were with us last week, you'll recall the tremendous exhortation Paul gave to all believers um, there, my notes had to turn around. You'll, re you'll recall that, you know, Paul gave a tremendous exhortation to all believers and particularly to those who were in the church of Galatia to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. The reason this is so important is because whatever you decide to walk in is what you will reap. We just read it. Paul reiterates it 
in the last chapter of Galatians. Whatever you decide to walk in, if you desire, if you, if you walk in the Spirit, you will fulfill the desires of the Spirit. But if you walk in the flesh, you will fulfill the desires of the flesh. Well, what does that mean? Well, what's the context of the passage? Paul's talking about applying law to grace. He, he's talking about applying rules to your life. Now, what you might miss is that that is actually fulfilling the lust of the flesh. In the idea that you desire to apply your own works to what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. It doesn't work. You can't do it. You know, the equation for that for that equals condemnation. You know, Jesus plus something equals condemnation, but Jesus plus nothing equals forgiveness, equals eternal life, equals everything, right? And, and so Paul is telling us that if we apply the law, then we're going to be walking in the flesh. And if we walk in the flesh, guess what will happen? The exact opposite of what you're desiring to do. If you put law in your life, you're going you're gonna to become more sinful. Why? Because you're, you're empowering your flesh to live this life. And your flesh will not live within the, um, the ditches of, you know, the law. It will not. It goes outside of the law. The law was weakened by what? Sinful flesh, Paul said. So if you try and live the Christian life by the flesh, I don't care what it is, do's and don'ts or, you know, whatever, you will ultimately fulfill the lust of the flesh. What is that? Well, he told us last week these things. Chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It's not an exhaustive list. These are the works of the flesh. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the fruit of the flesh. All kinds of sin, that's what it is. If you're walking, trying to walk the Christian life out, empowered by the flesh, you're going to give in to the works of the flesh. That's what he's saying. So how much more important then is it for us to walk in the Spirit of God? It is absolutely crucial to you. It's absolutely crucial. If you want to live out the Christian life, you must submit to the Spirit of God. Paul says, those who do these things, the, the idea of doing these things, I said last week, the, the, the idea is repeatedly, continually, and habitually. <coughs> Excuse me. No regard for God's Word. No regard for God's Spirit. No regard for anything except for self. And remember, the law does what to us? It turns us inward, makes us inherently selfish. So all you care about is yourself, your desires. But actually, they're desires of the flesh. So you will fulfill them. That's what he's saying. If you do such things, if you habitually, continually, uh, repeatedly do these things, you will not, you're not a Christian. That's what he's saying. You're not a Christian. You will not inherit the kingdom of God because the rest of the word of God says you can't lose your salvation. So if you're doing these things in a repeated, continual, habitual way, you're not a believer. Hold on a second. I, I've, I've stumbled in these things. Well, we'll talk about that in a second because we're not talking about being caught by these things. Christians can certainly, uh, you know, stumble in these things. But if you are habitually in a lifestyle of these things and you have no regard, I'm not talking about somebody who is saying, Lord, I the things I want to do, I'm not doing, and the things that I'm doing, I don't want to do. That's not the person he's talking about. He's talking about the person that says, I don't care. I'm going to do these things because I like to do these things. You're not a Christian. That's what he's saying. Grace does not apply to a person who will not receive it. And it will not apply to somebody who is trying to make their way to God on their own. It will not. You will not be in the book of life, period. It's a, it's, it's a grave warning. It's serious. What is it, what is it meant to do? Should, should turn you to examine your heart. Should turn you to say, Lord, where do I sit with you? What, what does my life look like? Am I doing these things, Lord? If I am, God, bring forgiveness. And what, let me just say this. If you're convicted about that, that's a great sign. If you're convicted about this sin in your life, that is a great sign because what does the Holy Spirit do? convicts sin. He convicts us of sin. 
is a sign that at least the Holy Spirit's at work in your life. You may not be a believer. You may not have ever turned your life over to Jesus. If you've never become a new creation, if these things have never passed away, because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anybody's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old things have what? They remain. We just continually, habitually, repeatedly do them. No, they've passed away. They have passed away. Doesn't mean you don't struggle with it. Doesn't mean you don't fall into it. Doesn't mean you get caught by it. But you do not repeatedly, habitually practice it. That's what he's talking about. There's been a change. You are a new creation. If you're a new creation, then you're going to see a difference. You're going to see something different in your life. Listen, the law can only yield the works of the flesh. That's all it can do because it's fleshly. It's fleshly. But what did Paul say? He said that we've been set free from the law. That's the whole book of Galatians that we've been talking about. He said, you have been set free. In Christ, you're free from the law. Romans chapter 8, verses 4 through 5. He said, well, actually, we're starting 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, listen, not according to the flesh, um, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. I don't care if you're trying to, you know, if you think you're trying to do good through the law, to set your mind on the flesh is death, period. But to set the mind on the spirit is what? Life and peace. Isn't that what we're after? Life and peace. What must we do to inherit the kingdom of God? We must be born again. The spirit of God must be in you, and the spirit of God will yield this life eternal and this peace with God. It's a glorious thing. Listen, if you're a Christian here today, you are no longer under the bonds of the law unless you put yourself back under the bonds of the law. You can certainly do that, but you will yield the works of the flesh. You'll yield the works of the flesh. Man, I got to do this and this and that more and more and more because I'm just not godly enough, so I got to do more because Jesus isn't enough. No, Jesus is enough. The, the, the reality is you need to surrender more, not do more. Surrender more. We have to yield more. Remember, the, the, the crescendo, I think, of, of the entire book of Galatians is uh, chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set you free, right? And what does that look like in our lives? We talked about last week, verse 6 of chapter 5. Uh, you know, we're living out this life. It's not external, it's internal, and we live it out by faith through love. That's how we live our lives, right? And that is ultimately giving the Spirit of God control of your life, and when you do that, you receive the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit, love. And that love manifesting itself in various ways, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the newness of life, folks. How do I know that I'm a Christian? How do I know that I'm genuinely saved? Well, number one is you have a life change. You have a, there's been a heart change. Your desires have changed. You want to do these things that God tells you to do. And then by the Spirit of God, you are doing them. Man, I can't believe how happy I'm. I'm, such, I'm from such a negative family. And I've been so full of joy lately. What's going on with me? Well, that's a fruit of love, which is manifests itself in joy. Man, I just have, you know, had this filthy mouth all my life, and I came to Christ, and all of a sudden, I'm all cleaned up. Well, you know what? What's going on in me? Well, that is the fruit of love manifesting itself in self-control. No longer do you have those words to say. You don't want to say them. You see how it works? But what must you do? Yield yourself to the Spirit of God. Yield yourself to the Spirit of God. We're in this works-based society that says, if you don't do enough, you'll never get anywhere. You know, it's partly relational, right? Because, you know, our society is partly relational. So it, it does break down. But for the most part, listen, whatever you do in this, in this world, it will, it, will, it will get you somewhere. You know, the lack of what you do or the, 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 the aggressiveness of what you do will ultimately define where you go. Not so in the kingdom of God. Who you trust and who you allow to shine through you 
will ultimately get you to the place where you will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not about you trying to do more. It's about you trying to surrender more to the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is telling the church in Galatia. It's not about circumcision. That is the very start of going down a path that will lead you to all kinds of debauchery. Don't do it. And he says the same to us. Now, as we move into chapter 6 today, Paul uh, further defines what it means to be, to be keeping in the Spirit, like to be keeping in step with the Spirit. He wants to define what that looks like in our lives. If we're walking by the Spirit, if we will keep in step with the Spirit, we'll be walking with Him, and this is what it will look like. So there's five things that he points out for us in chapter 6. The first thing that we notice, there's five desires that the Holy Spirit has that five desires the Holy Spirit has that he desires to work through our lives in. The first thing that he wants to do is he wants to restore transgressors. The Spirit of God desires to restore transgressors. Look at verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Now, Paul is clearly talking to Christians here. He calls them brothers. Not only that, but listen, you who are spiritual... You know what that means, that word spiritual? It's interesting. It means one who has received God's spirit and presumably lives in accordance with this relationship. We could summarize that in saying it's one who is keeping in step with the spirit. You who are spiritual, you who are keeping in step with the spirit. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to spirit-filled Christians, regenerated Christians, and what is he exhorting them to do? He's exhorting them to to restore a person who's caught in any transgression. To restore them. He's talking about a person who's caught in transgression. Someone who is, you know, if you watch boxing or you watch UFC or any kind of fighting, you know, the term caught means to be caught by some sort of a blow that, that causes you to not be knocked out. You got caught and all of a sudden you're TKO'd. That's what, that's what happens to believers. We get caught with an uppercut or a right hook or a left hook or something. Some sin catches you off guard, TKOs you. Next thing you know, you're down for the count. Well, where do you go from there? What do you do with that when you are knocked out? The body of Christ is supposed to come alongside you and put the smelling salts underneath your nose and revive you and restore you. That word literally means to bring back to original form. To, to, you know, we see sto- uh, different TV shows on where they're restoring old antique things that are, you know, been, they, they've just been let go and they're in bad shape, but it's amazing how incredible somebody can make them look and can restore them. That's the idea. The, uh, the idea is to restore someone, to bring them back to that which they fell from to bring them back to the same place. That's what, uh, you know, the, the Lord told the church of Ephesus. Listen, if you find yourself lacking or not following the Lord, repent and then do your first works. That's, that's, that's the idea of re- restoration. It starts with repentance. It starts with repentance. The, the idea of restoration is a, it, it's a, a medical term that was used of the setting of broken bones or to, to, to mend. That is the literal the, um, you know, definition of this word. To set a broken bone, to mend. It, it, it gives the idea of placing a dislocated limb back in place. The writer of Hebrews describes it like this in Hebrews 12, 12 through 13. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. That is, the, that is, the, that is really the, ephes, the emphasis of restoration. Ultimately, is for healing. It's for healing. But let me say this. You can't restore somebody. Listen, you cannot restore somebody if they are not repentant. You cannot Bring them back to that place of origin. You can't bring them back in that place of fellowship in the body of Christ unless they're repentive, 
unless they've literally turned away from their sin and turned back to you. You don't just, oh, I'm sorry you, you've struggled, you know, hey, get, get back up and just come be part of us again. No, because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul says, be careful about how you're dealing with sin in the church. You don't just restore somebody. You're called to restoration, but they have to do their part first. Do you not think that the God of the universe wants to restore the entire world? Does he not? That's the whole story of redemption. That's what the Bible is about. It's about Jesus. Jesus is the manifest restoration that God wants to see in the world. And through him, we find that redemption, right? But what is required in order to come to that place? Repentance. You have to turn away from your life and you've got to turn to God. You have to release everything to him. You've got to give him your all. Not just part of you. That's not enough. Jesus said, if you love anything more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. The, the idea here is that you are, the, the person is repentive. They're sorry for what they did. They're genuinely sorry. Paul probably has in mind those who have been circumcised by these Judaizers who have been caught off guard by that transgression, but not just that transgression, anyone. Any work of the flesh you could look at and say, hey, if you've been caught up by that, but you're repentive, then, you know, you should be restored. There are, listen, this is, the, the church does a terrible job at this. Does a terrible job at restoring people in the body. It's either we don't want anything to do with them, we don't know how to talk to them, we don't know how to bring them back to that place, or we look down on them. I can't believe that you did that. I mean, you said you were a Christian, you know, and we start to condemn them. Neither is right. However, a swift rebuke, you know, is maybe necessary if that person isn't repentive. But I, you see so oftentimes, even lately, you know, I, I've, I've seen some stories about pastors who have fallen in the, you know, into sexual sin or something, and, and there, there becomes a schism in the body. Why? Because people don't understand restoration. See, half of the congregation wants to put the, pul- the, the man right back up in the pulpit, and he's, he's, he said, oh, I'm sorry, but there's no fruit of repentance. You don't put somebody back up into a pulpit and set them up to fail, right? People don't understand the, this idea of restoring somebody. They're, it's a process, man. And you don't just, you know, you, if you failed in something, yes, there's forgiveness, but there must be fruit of repentance. What does that look like? It's a changed life. It's a changed life. There are, there are many people that just want to bring the people back in, in love, and I get it, but we have to do it in God's kind of love, in his process, right? His process is a, a nurturing, loving God that would pick us back up, but he would not put us right back in the same situation so we could do the same thing, right? And we're going to talk about that in a second. He's saying that you must, you must bear the fruit of repentance, and then you restore that person. But you must restore them. See the problem in this church? They ain't going to restore people. They're not going to restore. Why are they being instructed to do this? Because they're not going to do it. Unless they're instructed by Paul to do it. And I think it's apropos for the church today that we understand this thing of restoration. That we restore people. Notice the attitude that we're supposed to restore people in. The attitude of gentleness. To be gentle with people. Well, how do I do that, man? Again, it's, a fruit of the, it, it's part of the fruit of love, right? Gentleness. How, do I, how, am I, how am I to be gentle with people? The Holy Spirit, working through love in your life, will give you the ability to be gentle with somebody as you restore them. It doesn't mean that you become their cheerleader. What it means is that you're honest with them, that you're nurturing with them, that you're putting band-aids on their wounds. At the very same time, you're caring for their soul and you're saying, I care about what happens to you. I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to walk you through this because I want you to be restored. That's what he's saying. That's the concept in the spirit of gentleness. We have to be careful how we do this. But make no mistake about it, we must do this. If, there's rest, if there is genuine repentance, we must do this. The Spirit desires to restore people. His, the conviction of sin in our life is for the purpose of restoration. Anytime God rebukes you himself, 
you understand what the purpose is, right? He's not just saying, ha ha, I caught you. No. He says, I caught you, but I love you and I want to restore you. That's the point. And by the way, if God has allowed you to have some knowledge of somebody's sin, it's not to just keep you informed, right? It's not to just keep you in the loop so that you can tell everybody else about what's going on in their life. Uh-uh. That is not what we're called to do. God gave you that, that specific knowledge so that you could deal with it in this way, that you would restore this person, okay? That is what he wants us to do. Secondly, the Spirit desires to bear others' burdens. This has a direct reflection of what he just got done saying. To bear one's, one another's burden. Look at verse 2. Bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Now, the Holy Spirit is going to enable you and I to restore a believer in the spirit of gentleness, but he is also going to give you the ability to help them keep free, to help them keep free, to start to bear their burden. Listen, when people sin, there's generally consequences, right? I mean, there's generally some baggage that comes along with sin. It's not just really like, okay, I did it, now I'm, you know, whatever. You, you can get into all kinds of sin and addiction, and there's all kinds of legal, uh, you know, baggage that comes along with that possibly, you know, you could get into, you know, some situation like that, whether it doesn't matter what the sin is, but you could get into some financial baggage. You could get into some relational baggage, whatever it might be. There's, gener- there's always baggage with sin. And so what is he saying? You carry the baggage. You help them. You don't just so, hey, let me just get you to say this prayer of repentance and then you can be on your way. No, that's not restoration restoration, part of restoration is bearing a person's burden. It's getting in, getting, being willing to get your hands dirty, folks. That's what it is. Man, I don't know if I really want to get involved in that. That's a lot of work, you know. Well, yeah, that's what we're called to do. We're called to work. Called to do, do the holy works of God, right? To come alongside somebody and to bear their burden. Now, here's what I will say to you, and you have to be very, very careful about not mistaking what he's saying here. He is not saying that you're called to shoulder other people's problems. If you do that, you're going to bury yourself. You will become so stressed out and you will become, you know, you'll be overburdened that there will be no joy in your life. The Holy Spirit will be, he will, he will not be manifest in your life. You'll be walking in the flesh. Paul says, you know, the, the idea of, of bearing another's burden is to do what? To take it to Jesus. You got to remember that when you're ministering to people who they really need, they don't need you, they need Jesus. So don't, don't you know, when the idea of bearing one another's burdens is to continually remind them to, to bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus for them. You know, pray for them continually in these issues. Be willing to ask the difficult questions in their life. Hey, how's it going in this area of your life? You still struggling? You know, and hey, listen, a month down the road, they might get mad at you for asking. But you know what? This is part of restoration. It's part of restoration. And the Holy Spirit will give you the wisdom. He'll help you understand when, when is time. We're not called to be sin sifters, but we are called to keep people accountable and to bear their burden, to take them before Jesus and to continually take them before the Lord and help them to understand. Because he said, if you don't, you'll become weary and you'll become heavy laden. But he wants us to be free, even ministers. So we need to do that. We need to Come to Jesus. All who are weary and heavy laden, he'll give you what? Rest. He wants to give you rest, even the minister. I can tell you that there are times that I've shouldered other people's burdens and I haven't properly done this, and it literally affected my life. Literally with my relationship with my wife, with you know, other things that are going on in my life, uh, the stress, the burden, the heartache, the anguish. I started to take it on myself, and the next thing you know, it changed my personality. Be careful that you don't do that. You can't internalize people. You have to give it back to Jesus. He's, he's not asking you to be the burden bearer. He's asking you to be the conduit. He's asking you to let, the, let, let the, the situation flow through you up to him. And so make sure you do that. But uh, he wants us to understand that when we do that, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Paul said in Galatians 5.14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's the law of love. When we do this, when we bear each other's burdens, we are fulfilling the law of Christ, the law of love. I love you enough to get my hands dirty. I love you enough to be inconvenienced with your stuff. I love you enough to get a call at 2 a.m. when you're telling me that you're struggling or you, you, know, you did something you shouldn't have done. I love you enough to do that. But I'm not going to let you do it. I'm going to bear your burden, but I'm going to keep you accountable, right? That's the point. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love you that way. Paul says that, you know, we have to also be careful about our motives of doing this. We have to be very, very careful that we're not doing it to get praise. Oh, you're so godly. Oh, shucks, me. Oh, little old me, I'm so godly. I know, thank you. And, and you're going, I know. And inside you're really going, yeah, I know. I, I know, I am, I am pretty good. But, uh, you know, if you're doing that, then you know what? You're not praising the Lord. You're not giving God glory. Beware of your motives. Why are you doing what you're doing? Paul says examine your work. Examine it. You know, look at it. You got to look at your work. Test your work. Put it through the fire. Lord, why am I doing what I'm doing? I want to do it for your glory. If I'm not doing it for your glory, I'm doing it for the wrong reason. Right? That doesn't mean I stop doing it. What it means is I got to get the right reason in my heart. I got to make it about your glory because I'm called to do these things. Remember Ephesians 2.10? You're his workmanship creating Christ Jesus for what? Good works. You're, you're created to work. So walk in those things. Examine your heart. Ask yourself the question, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it to glorify God or is it to glorify myself? Now, here's the last thing that he says particularly for the person that's in the situation where they have the burden, that they just deliver it to you and you let you handle it. Here, take my burden. Thank you. Oh, yeah, just take my financial problems. Take this away from me. Take that away from me. No, that, he, he said, let me just clarify what I mean by this. Yeah, you're going to bear each other's burdens, but you better bear your own, right? You better take responsibility for your sin. You better take responsibility for the consequences. I'm going to bring people alongside you to help you out, but, they, but you have to bear your burden. Again, how do you do that? Take it to Jesus. It all comes back to Jesus. All paths lead back to Jesus, not in the sense of salvation, but when it comes to ministering to people in the church, it should all come right back to Jesus. Why? Because he is our high priest. He is our sacrifice. He is our strength. He is everything that we need. Right? And his spirit will, be, will overflow us and allow us the strength to do these things. Not only are, if we're keeping in step with the Spirit, will we have a desire to bear other people's burdens, but thirdly, we'll also have a desire to teach. Look at verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For, whoever, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows of his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows of the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The Holy Spirit is our teacher, is he not? 1 John 2.27 says this, but the anointing, speaking of the Holy Spirit, that you have received from him abides in you. This Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you uh, about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. So the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, is going to give you the ability to teach. He's going to give you the ability to teach somebody something. It doesn't mean that you're meant to stand in a pulpit. It doesn't mean that you're meant to teach a class or whatever. But in general, you're going to be able to teach somebody what you've been taught. You know, you, 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 the, like the little saying goes, you know, teach somebody to fish, uh, you know, Catch somebody a fish and you'll feed them for a day. Teach somebody to fish and you'll feed them for a life, right? And then they go out and teach somebody else how to do it. That's the point. That's what it, go make disciples. And as you're discipling people, everyone's called to that ministry of discipleship. Go make disciples. And as you disciple, teach them. Then they're going to go make a disciple and teach them. That's, that, it's reciprocal. That's the way it works. That's the Holy Spirit in our lives. Why? Because he's a teacher. And he's the one that teaches us. The student is supposed to then take what he's being taught and share in the good works with his teacher. What does that mean? Well, some people apply that to financial situation. They say the student is supposed to financially, you know, uh, 
support his teacher. And although the Bible says, hey, you know, don't muzzle the ox while he's treading the ground, right? That's not the context of what he's talking about here, I don't think. There are many commentators that think that. I don't personally think that. I think Paul is talking about in the lines of essentially the, the concept of paying it forward. Like, in other words, I'm receiving from you, so therefore I'm going to go give it to somebody else. You know, you ever been in a drive-thru where, you know, somebody said, hey, um, I want to pay for the person behind me, and then you come up there and go, hey, man, this thing's been going on for like three weeks, you know. Somebody paid for somebody else, and now it comes to you. What are you going to do? Are you going to pay for it? No. You just, you just killed the whole thing, man. What's your problem? Where's the grace, <laughs> you know? No, but you, you know what I'm saying? That's paying it forward. Hey, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll pick up the tab for next day as long as it's not too much, you know. But uh, that, that's the concept. You're being taught, so then you go out and teach. You share in those good works. You, you share in the good things that, that are happening there. But Paul is telling us, he goes on to make it clear here, that what we sow, we will reap. And that is true. Have you not seen that in your life? What you sow, you will reap. You know, if you sow... You know, in, in, in the flesh, guess what? You're going to reap in the flesh. If you sow in the Spirit, you're going to reap the, 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 the things of the Spirit. So what's the principle? Sow in the Spirit. Sow in the Spirit. Well, man, you know, if you sow in the Spirit, you're going to have the, the fruit of the Spirit. But if you don't sow in the Spirit, the only thing left to sow is in the flesh. There's nothing else to sow. Those who, in, who are in step with the Spirit will sow generously into the Spirit and will use their gifting to teach and build up other people. That's what he's saying here. Fourthly, to desire, spiritual desires to continue, the Spirit desires to continue in doing good. Verse 9 here, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul reminds us here that if we're not careful in keeping step with the Spirit, that we can easily become weary in this sowing. We can become weary in this sowing. If you're empowered by the flesh and you're, you know, and you, and you're sowing into you know, the world, into people's lives and stuff, you know what's going to happen? Your arm's going to get tired. Why? Because you're doing it in the flesh. The flesh is weak. Jesus said. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you want to continue to sow, you have to do it in the spirit. If you don't, you're going to grow weary. And let me tell you, I know what it feels like to grow weary. It's not a fun situation. There's no joy in it. There's no peace in it. There is no patience in it. There is, there is nothing good that comes from somebody who is growing weary and doing good. But here's what always happens is when maybe a loving brother or sister comes by and comes to you and says, hey, man, you really look like you're struggling. You really look like you're trying to live this thing out in the flesh, man. You know, you look weary. Can I just remind you that it's not about you? It's about the Spirit of God. And can you maybe maybe just, I don't know, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to tell you how to do it, but just man, it seems like maybe that's what you need is just to let go and let the Spirit work in your life. Man, what welcoming words you would hope you would get if you were in that situation, right? Reminding you uh, that this burden and all, all of this stuff, the, gr- the doing good, is, is for a purpose. It's for God's glory. You've got to remember what you're doing it for. Paul says, you know, if you're going to do this, that you will receive a harvest at some point. You're going to see some fruit in your, in your ministry, right? I mean, if you sow to the ground constantly and you never see any fruit from it, you're going to stop sowing eventually. But we can't look at that. What we have to do is just continue to sow, but God promises a harvest. He promises that there will be fruit from it if you will stay faithful. He didn't say how long it will take, but he did tell you if you will just continue to sow Man, I share the gospel with people all the time and they don't, they don't come to Christ. I should just stop doing it. No, you're growing weary and doing good. No, you keep sharing. You keep sowing. And you let, one of these days, God is going to allow you to reap the harvest, but you keep doing it. You don't stop. Now, with that said, look at yourself. Am I doing something wrong in, in the way that I'm doing it, Lord? Examine yourself, but don't grow weary in doing it, right? For in due season, 
you will reap if you do not grow weary. God is faithful, man. He's faithful to give you a harvest. He is going to give you fruit for your labor. You just walk in the Spirit, and you don't worry about it. You just keep doing what you're doing. Don't give up. Listen, if, you're, if you've grown weary today, ask the Lord to revive you. Ask Him to help you get back to that, that place of just heart worship to Him, that you're doing it solely for His glory, that you are doing it because you want Him to be elevated. Paul goes on to say, do good to those, to everyone, but especially to those who are what? In the church. Well, that seems like partiality, doesn't it? Doesn't the Bible say something about God not being partial? Yeah. But, but here's the thing is this is not partiality. This is examine. This is example. What did, God, what did Jesus say? So we're called to love our neighbors ourselves. We're called to love each other. And as we love each other, the world will see that love and they will, they will see the love that we have for one another. So what he's saying here is that if we love each other, that it will be an attraction from those who don't know Christ. But if we don't, then what? guess what? We're just like the world. Who wants to be part of some more drama? Anybody in here? I need some more drama in my life, man. I better get involved in a church, you know? Yeah, no, uh-uh. You don't want to get involved in a church because that's where all the drama is, right? It shouldn't be that way. Listen, if there's drama in the church, that's because people are walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. The church is supposed to be a place an example of Christ's love to one another. We are supposed to come together and love each other fiercely, like to, to fight for each other, to be, uh, you know, for each other, not against each other. And if the world doesn't see that, then they're going to say, well, I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to be part of that for. I, I already have that in my life, in my own personal family. I have it in my own respective little world. I don't want any part of that right there. That's a waste of time for me. Oh, man church, be careful about how you're loving one another. Be very, very careful. We're called to love each other because it's the example of Christ to the world, but not just the church. We're called to love everybody. We're called to love those in the world. That doesn't mean we, we, we parade, we go to their parades and we clap for them when they're doing things that are debaucherous to God. No, that's not what it means. We also don't stand there with picket signs. We love people in relationship and we, we, we speak the truth in love, um, it, but we love people. We love sinners. We love them right where they are, okay? That brings us to our final point where the Spirit desires here, working through Paul as he writes, to protect against wolves in sheep's clothing. Look at verse 11. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a creation but new creation, I'm sorry. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the, the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Paul, keeping in step with the Spirit here, mentions that he is writing with his own hand here. With his own hand. Normally, Paul would have a scribe or somebody that would be writing it for him, but he says, I have taken up the pen myself, and I am writing with large letters. Now, some people say, okay, well, this is because Paul had an eye problem, which he mentioned in verse, uh, verse chapter 3, which he did have, probably have an eye problem, but, you know, it very well could be that. But it very well could be that he's writing in all caps. Literally, let me just get your attention for a second. Let me exhort you in this. All capital letters. When you get an email with all capital letters, you're like, whoa, this person is animated, they're upset, or they're, you know, whatever. But they are, they're, they're speaking loudly, right? Perhaps that's what he's doing here. 
what I, regardless of the way that, what, what he's doing, he wants to express his passion for these people. He is expressing his passion because he is taking up the pen himself and he's writing to them and he is saying, listen, I have strong desire to protect you against these Judaizers. Why? Because they will lead you to hell. They will lead you to hell. As a shepherd and under-shepherd in the church and the elders and under-shepherds in the church, you know, the, the, the leadership of a church should be sheepdogs. We should be caring for the sheep. We should be looking out for the sheep. When we see some kind of person that makes their way into the church and they start to work themselves in and they start to separate and start to cultivate a, a, a different mindset that is, you know, a doctrinally, uh, you know, may, maybe not sound, then as the under-shepherd, as the sheepdog, I am called, Mike is called, Dan is called, Brian is called to come to that situation and to say, hold on a second. What's going on here? We want to take care of God's sheep. And we will take care of God's sheep. And listen, if that happens, we will ask somebody to leave if they are, you know, creating that situation. Why? Because there are wolves in sheep's clothing. That's why. We take it serious. It's a serious thing. And, you know, again, if, if <laughs> sometimes you know and we don't know. So if you know and we don't know, we need to know. Right? That's the way that works. It's called communication. If there's something going on in the church like that, we need to know because we need to deal with it because this is not about us. This is about God and it's about an example to Him and it's about bringing glory to Him and we can't bring glory to Him if we're not dealing with these kinds of things, right? So we need to make sure we do that. Uh, Paul, he, I'm writing in all caps right now. Um, whoa. So here's what he says. These Judaizers... You know why they're doing what they're doing? Because they want to put a notch in their belt. That's why. They want to be glorified. Not only that, but they don't want to receive the marks of the body of Christ. They don't want to receive the marks of Christ like Paul has. So what they're doing is they're getting glory, self-promotion, right? Without the persecution. But what does the Bible say? Anybody who desires to live godly will suffer what? Glorification? No, persecution. You will suffer persecution. If you, if, you stand for Jesus, if you stand for Jesus in this day, you will suffer some persecution. People may laugh at you. They may punch you. They may call you a narrow-minded bigot. They may call you all kinds of stuff, uh, you know, uh, 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 whatever, uh, homophobic, you know, legalist or whatever it might be, whatever the case is. If you desire to live godly, you will suffer persecution. It's... it's it comes with the territory because the cross is, is an offense to people. It's a stumbling block to the Jew. It's foolishness to the Greek or the Gentile. If you speak about the cross of Christ, you better be expecting some persecution because it, it, it will cause it. That's why these Judaizers were straying away from it. What they, what they did was they came in the church and they said, hey, yeah, I mean, Jesus is fine. You can believe him and everything, but let's just, you know, you got you to gotta do the Jewish laws. You know, so now they got the Jews on their side. They're like, well, I mean, okay, I don't know. I'm sure there was the, 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 the sect of Jews that was like, no, I don't care what they believe. But, but there's probably many, many of the Jews that were like, yeah, okay, well, I mean, they're going to keep the law, so who cares if they believe in Jesus or not because we don't. So, but, but the reality is they weren't, they weren't suffering any persecution for speaking about that because they were, it was law-based. They weren't telling people not to fulfill the law. Listen, that is not the gospel. That is a false gospel. That is a gospel that leads condemnation. Without the cross, there is no salvation. If you add anything to the cross, there is no salvation. The cross of Jesus Christ is the method in which God used to crucify His Son so His, His sinless blood could be spilt on uh, you know, on your behalf so that you could be forgiven if you would come to him by grace through faith in Christ, right? It's the three-chord song we've been singing all the way through. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That's it. Without the cross, you have none of that. The cross is the grace of God. And we must preach the cross. We must preach a crucified Christ not only a crucified Christ, but we also must be crucified. You know, it pains me greatly when I see people, uncrucified people, getting up 
in front of the public and speaking on behalf of the cross when they're uncrucified, right? They're just a terrible example of Christ, but they get on the news and they, they say, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus, you know, and, and they're not crucified people. We're called to be crucified people. We died. Christ is now living in through us. We need to stay crucified. It just bothers me when I see people get up and I think like, that is the most unbiblical statement I've ever heard in my life. This person doesn't care about Christ. He cares about themselves. cares about their pocketbook. It cares about something like that. They don't care about Jesus. I care about Jesus. And I want to be crucified. And I want to continue to be crucified. And I hope you feel the same way. I'm not, listen, be very, very careful as a Christian, by the way, that you're not, you know, you're not the, the, the same kind of a, a, a Judaizer in the church that's looking to put notches of evangelical Christians on your belt to say, oh, I led this person to the Lord. Now I led this person to the Lord. Listen, let me say this real quick. There is an office of evangelism. And a few people have that. Not everybody has that gift, right? It's a gift. It's a, it's a calling that God gives some. We're all called to evangelism, though, in the general broad sense of telling other people about Jesus. Be careful that you don't fall into this mentality of saying, well, I told you about Jesus, just say this prayer and you're good. No, no, there's a whole other part to that evangelism that a Christian is called to. General calling of evangelism for you and I is discipleship. It's to bring them to that place where they would say the prayer or whatever, that they would give themselves to Christ. It's not even about the prayer, it's about surrendering to Jesus, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You're bringing a person to that place, but then you're moving them on in discipleship. Evangelism without discipleship is criminal, folks. It really is. People think they have something that they may or may not have. They flounder around and they think that's Christianity. No. Discipleship and teaching somebody about Jesus so that they can stand on their own two feet is what it's about. So don't neglect that. Don't just be about the getting people to say a prayer. No, if, you, if God puts you in their life and they said a prayer, you better follow up. And you better, follow, you better start discipling that person. He put you in their life, not me, not somebody else. He put you in their life. So make sure you disciple them. You're called to it. Man, I don't have time. Are you crucified? Are you crucified? Make sure you're crucified. It's a sacrifice, but it's well worth it, I promise you. Paul says, listen, if we live according to this rule, what is the rule? The gospel, by grace through faith in Christ alone. Now, if you live by this rule, you will experience this, uh, this love and, and, and peace in your life. Is that what he said here from? Yeah, peace and mercy. You're going to experience peace and mercy as you walk out the gospel in your life that you don't add to it. But the moment you start to add anything to it, guess what? Your peace will be gone. The mercy of God will be gone, and you'll be left on your own, and you'll, you'll, you'll feel it. And that's the point. You're supposed to, so that you can deal with it, right? He says, you'll, you'll receive that. Um, it, he goes on here, and he tells us, for those who live in such a manner by this rule, they will receive the peace and mercy, but also what? Israel of God. What is that speaking about? What's the Israel of God? Some people believe that it's, it's the nation of Israel. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the same Israel that he's talking about in Romans chapter 9 through 11. What Israel is that? That is spiritual Israel. That is true Israel. Listen, outside of this, in, outside of relationship with God through his son, which is Israel, there is no Israel. We are Israel. The church is Israel in the sense of, you know, from a salvation standpoint, we are parted. We've been grafted in. The church has been grafted into Israel. It's not about a physical nation, although God will turn his heart back to Israel, and we believe in that. In the tribulation period, God will turn his heart back to Israel, and he will deal with them. But in terms of, you know, Israel being saved, the only people that are saved, just because you were born Jewish, you're not saved. You were saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That makes you spiritual Israel, and you were grafted in, and that's what he's talking about. Those who live in that realm, it's not all Israel will, will have peace and mercy upon them. It's those who have accepted Christ, or those who are looking to Christ before Christ came. 
that Israel. That's who he's talking about. His final words here are of personal concern. He says, listen, I've been put through the ringer. He said, I have personally been put through the ringer here, but I want you to know, put it to rest now. I've addressed the issues that have, you know, come up against me. I've given you biblical context. I've given you everything you need to make your decision. Now put it to rest and start following Christ. This is a distraction is what he's saying. Let's put it to rest. Let's move forward and let's focus on Jesus. Listen, the enemy is a master distractor. You know, as much as you, you know, watch the news and you go, okay, that was a distraction because something else is going on. The enemy is the master of that, and he does it in the church, and he does it in your life. So we have to be discerning about these distractions in our life. Is this a distraction or is this the Lord? So you have to ask yourself, is it a distraction or is it the Lord? You need to ask yourself that question. Paul is saying, listen, I love you dearly. I know that you've been duped, but I want to put it to rest. So don't second guess me anymore. Follow the the gospel that I've given you. And you know what? Let me put my money where my mouth is. Look at my body. I gave my body up for Christ. I have sacrificed for Christ. I've been beaten to death. I have been lashed. I've been whipped. I have been beaten in every single way that you can think of. And look at my body. You, you can take a look at me. I'll, I'll show you the marks. Listen, if you're a genuine believer in Christ, you will bear the marks of Christ on your body. I promise. You will bear them. There is sacrifice involved in this. Paul says here, I've been faithful, and I can show you the faithfulness of the gospel of Christ. And it, it, again, it's an offense to people. That's why he has marks on his body. But it comes with the territory. Paul, Paul ends, he begins this book with a greeting of grace, which is amazing. Grace to you, he says. He speaks about grace the entire six chapters, and then he does what? Here's the end cap. Grace. It's about Grace getting what you don't deserve. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But he freely offered it to us through his son because he loves you and he wants to give you eternal life. He wants you to walk in the grace that he's been given. He reminds us all that that is the way to to be free and to stay free is to walk in the grace of God. Keep in step with the spirit of God. And just be reminded once again that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that we have been set free. Now go tell somebody else about that. Let somebody else know because it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this series, God, of reminding us that we've been unshackled, Lord, that your grace is enough for us, God. You were sufficient. And we thank you this morning. We ask you, Father, if we have stumbled in any way back into any kind of a law-based relationship with you, that you would, you would, move, you would move, and move in our hearts this morning and you would draw us to that place of grace where we would just 100% give our lives to you, Lord. We ask you... <laughs> Even now, in Jesus' name, Lord, we ask you to just move in our hearts. We need your spirit right now, Lord. We need you to to just draw our heart to that place where we need to respond to you today, Lord. We've been crucified. It's not about us, but oftentimes we allow things in our life. And so we ask you right now, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would do your work in us, Lord, and just bring us back to that place. If, if there are some in this place that need repentance this morning, God, that you would help us to be repentant, that we would, be, we would draw near to the altar of grace, and that we would repent of our sin, and we would turn it over to you, Lord. For those who are in this place and they're uh, in right relationship and they're struggling with you know, understanding their ministry and all, Lord, we ask you to surrender, help them to surrender today. Uh, we, we learned a lot about what we're called to do, and that is to walk by the Spirit. If we're walking by the Spirit, we don't have to really figure out a plan. Your Spirit will lead us in the right place. And so maybe it's a simple surrender to whatever your, wherever your Spirit would take us, Lord, for some here in this place today. 
Lord, for others, maybe it's a lack of commitment to you, God, and, and there's, been a, there's been a conviction in the heart that you would just help us to recommit ourselves to you, Jesus. You're worth it. You gave all, all, all for us. You bled and died for us. We want to give all back to you, Lord. And for those maybe that are listening to this later or here this morning that don't know you, that they would call upon you as Lord and Savior today. Today is the day of salvation, your word says. Lord, would you just move in this place this morning? Just draw us to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.